All right, good morning, everybody. So, yeah, we do have parents here. It's amazing, huh? You know how we got our kid to get up this morning? We, I mean, seriously suffering from sugar hangover. So we just got a candy bar. We shoved it in her mouth while she was in bed. It's like the hair of the dog, right? So you got to get up. And so that's how we got our child here, just more sugar. And um, it worked, right? She's here. <laughs> so, and if you're new, if you're somewhat new, or if I've never sent you ice cream, does ice cream even sound good right now? Like, I, it does? Are you kidding me? Always? Oh, my gosh. I've had so much sugar, I, ice cream doesn't sound good. But if it sounds good to you, uh, I will send you ice cream in the mail. Just fill out the little tear-out thing, and then I'm going to mail your information to marketers. And, uh, yeah. But I know. I can't help it. I just can't help it. It's going to be one of those Sundays, by the way. It's just going to be one of those Sundays. Um, I'm glad you're here. It's a great church. It's a great church family. So hang out with us, and I don't know. And if we don't weird you out too much, then you found home. Hmm? Um, in two weeks, this will give you an idea about our church. Uh, a few years ago, no, it was last year, I got in major trouble for abusing the pulpit and making fun of Disneyland. In, in the Disney company. And so my penance was I did an entire series on the gospel according to Disney, right? Um, by far the most watched and downloaded sermon series that we've ever done. Super successful. And so it's like, oh, geez. It's like, well, there's, that's what I get, right? That's what I get. So um, we're going to kind of follow that theme again. And this is going to be really weird, but you know what? It's going to be really good. We're going to, in two weeks, we're going to do the gospel according to Star Wars. It is, I know, huh? And we have some little special features that are going to be coming in. It'll be fun. Um, but here's what we learned with, uh, with Disney. The way that we approached it, Disney has a lot of really good themes, obviously, right? A lot of good moral themes. But there's some things in there that just aren't gospel, right? Do your kids know the difference? And so we were able to, um, we were able, and we still use this tool today in our family. So we were able to talk with Sophia whenever we watch any movie, whether it's Disney or, I don't know, whatever, Star Wars. Um, okay, Sophia, where do you see Jesus in this story? And she'll be able to pick it out. Okay, Sophia, what is not gospel in this story? I don't know, like, like the magic wand and the witchcraft. I'm like, yes, good. <laughs> so you see what I mean? So um, we're, we're going we're gonna to do the same thing with Star Wars. Okay, actually, most of it, I know I'm totally geeking out here, but most of it is, is, is based on a Christian theme. It is, I mean, when you look at it in its entirety, it's, it's about redemption. I don't know about the new movie coming out. I haven't seen it yet. But as it ends, it's, it's a story about redemption. And then you're, I know what you're thinking. Well, but all, what about all that force stuff, Josh? All right, that's what we'll talk about. Because the force is not the Holy Spirit, right? So Lucas is just he, just, he just scrapped everything. I mean, he just, he took in all these different traditions. Overall, it's a Christian theme. But you know what the force comes from? Do you know, do you know where I actually got the idea? Anybody know? It's from Taoism. The yin and yang thing, you know? It is, you know, there's the, there's, there's, there's a good side of, of, of spirituality, and then there's the opposite, which is, which is the bad side. It's the opposite side of the coin. That is not a gospel worldview. It's not scripture, folks. God is not good, and then all of a sudden he becomes bad, right? That's what, that's what Taoism, and that's what the yin and yang symbol represents. God, God has a good mood, and God has a bad mood. That's not true. And so this is our opportunity to flesh these things out. We're going to use the movies as a teaching tool, 
for ourselves so that whether you like it or not, Star Wars is such a cultural force, right? It's a joke. In our society. It is huge. What, 1977 that film came out? Crazy. So we're going to have fun with it. It is a bringer event, so invite your friends, invite your families, people that would not attend church. It doesn't get any more seeker-friendly than this, right? So there you go. We're going to have a lot of fun. Um, all right. How are you guys doing? You guys doing good? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, you are all a bunch of liars. It's just, life is hard, isn't it? Life is difficult at times, and it's confusing. And us church folks, I don't know, we just, we just like to beat people up half the time. I don't, it's just like our human nature. We like, it is our human nature to kick people when, when they're down. Christians do it a lot. So whenever somebody blows it or whenever somebody is down or whenever somebody is struggling with sin, it is, it is our nature to kick them when we're down and then we pawn it off as, as Christianity or spirituality, right? Now, God, our Heavenly Father, yes, He will discipline, but He's never kicked you when you were down. Amen. You know that? You know, our God is so good. You know, unlike other religions and other philosophies, He's not, you know, good at sometimes and then bad at other times. No, He's always good. And He is, you know, yeah, He might be upset with some of the things that you do, but He loves you unconditionally. He is a good father. He has never been a bad father. He's been an angry father at times, but he's never been angry at you. He's never kicked you. He's just, he's just angry at some of the things that are in our hearts. And so, you know, when... You guys have got it all together, so I'm not talking about you. But whenever we experience families or individuals and they're hurting or they're going through some difficulty... Um, I, my heart just goes out to them. I mean, life is hard at times. It's like, how are they doing this? And what does the church have to offer? Look, we, we, we have the hope of the world. And what they need, you know, look, it's hard, it's hard enough for us. It's hard enough for Christians to even survive marriage nowadays. It's hard for us, Right? Just think how hard it is for people that are outside of the body of Christ. I don't know how they do it. I, 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 could not, I could not live life without you, without the church, without Jesus, without Holy Spirit guiding me, without a loving Father. I couldn't do it. I don't know how the world gets, gets on without it, but they do. But you know what? They're in a really hurting place, and they, they need this gospel message. They need the good news. And, but more importantly, we need to present it to them with grace, with salvation grace. And that is what we're looking into. That's what the Bible says. And so they need salvation grace, but do you know what? I don't know about you guys, but you know what I need? I, I need grace too. I need empowering grace. Yeah, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm pretty sure of it. I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong, right? But I, I think I'm pretty confident that, I can, that I'm, I'm going, right? I've had... You know, I've had a, you know, I had somebody put a gun in my face one time, and I was just like, you know, after the adrenaline rush, I was like, okay, I'm good to go. Let's do it. Yeah? That peace that transcends all understanding, it's like, all right, 
if this is it, this is it. I was okay. I was good to go. So I, I'm pretty confident that I'm there. But I still need grace in my life. Like, I need empowering grace. There are, there are things that I cannot, no matter how smart I think I am, no matter how, uh, what skills I have, or I can make things happen, there are certain things that I cannot do. There are certain things that are mastering me, and the only thing that I've got is God's grace, his empowering grace that's going to get me through difficult times, and I need it, and if I need it, you need it. Church, you need to be graced this week. You need God's grace on you. You need it desperately, folks. I could give you lots of rules and lots of laws, but what we really need is God's grace right now in this season. So we're going to look at a scripture that, that's kind of been hanging on this week. Uh, this is a 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And the setting of this, uh, Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthians. And um, the, there is a tone of frustration and disappointment and annoyance. That's the tone of this letter. He's writing it to the Corinthians. And basically, he's writing it to Orange County. <laughs> All right? So uh, Corinth... Um, it's a lot like Orange County. You, you go to Corinth to make it. You don't go to Corinth to, to get your, your house with your white picket fence and to live in a nice little gated community. You go, to, you, go to, you go to Corinth like you would go to Orange County or that you like go to Las Vegas or New York or downtown Los Angeles. You go there to make it, to hit it big, to strike it rich, to, to make a lot of money, to buy a lot of stuff, to get, to get a lot of material possessions. You go there to make it. And, I mean, there's no difference between the Corinthians and, and, and Orange County. I mean, see, I'm getting myself in trouble again, right? <laughs> Making fun of other people. I got to stop that. But, but you all know what I'm talking about. It is um, people from Orange County, they don't buy antiques. They buy reproductions of antiques. Is that... You know what I mean? Yeah, because they don't care how old it is. They want the look. It's, it's, all, it's all about appearance for them. It's all about prestige. It's all about, um, you know, uh, it's all about the nice cars and, 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 and the fakeness of it all. Does that, does that make sense? Now, I know there's great people in Orange County, but just the overall, you know, that, that, that feel. You know, there, there's a lack, there, there's, there's the... There's the pretense, but it really lacks a lot of depth. You know, they have fake columns, right? And the Corinthians were no different. I mean, like, well, from our perspective, their art was absolutely incredible. They had the Corinthian columns. So there's different styles. There's the Doric column. There's the, you know, the, and then there's the Corinthian column, which is like all the pretty flowers and all the, the, the you know, they, they over-exaggerate stuff. They, they fluff stuff up. And again, for the Corinthians, it's all about the shiny stuff. Right? It's all about the, you know, what is, what's cool at the moment. You know, who's the coolest singer? Who has the coolest car? Who's wearing the coolest clothes? That's, that's who we're talking about. A lot of money that was going in the double ports of Corinth. A lot of money being channeled through. So, you know, there was materialism. There was, you know, excesses in sexuality. And it was just craziness. And so Paul is writing this letter. And the tone that he's... He's really frustrated. And so we're going, to see, um, we're going to see some frustration that is towards the Corinthians, but you're also going to see some of the disappointment that is in, within his own life, within his own spiritual life. All right? So that's the setting. 
Verse 1, I must go on boasting. So he's got to boast, but he doesn't want to. This is Paul we're talking about. So he's got to boast about something. So although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Uh, Underline that part. Okay, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. Now, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except my weakness. Even if I should boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think me more than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. This one's uncomfortable. A messenger of Satan to torment me. All right, we're going to look at this. Uh, is there ever, do you have like parts in the Bible that bug you? This one bugs me. That's why we're talking about it. I mean, a messenger from Satan to torment us? What is that supposed to mean? I don't know. Let's talk about it. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then, then I am strong. All right. What? This is so important, folks. This is so rich. Okay, here's the frustration. In chapter 11, he tells you what he's annoyed with. In chapter 11, in Corinth, there were... Um, what Paul calls the, the super apostles. The supermen is, is what it actually gets translated into. And these are, they're Jews, they're probably Christians, and they have, they've got their act together. What we do know about them is they are incredible orators. They're, super, they're skilled, they're trained professionals in public speaking. And they have gone into Corinth and they're, they're preaching a gospel other than that of Jesus. And Paul is so concerned about what's going on that he says, all right, I, I've, got to, I've got to address this issue with you because I love you guys so much. Paul loved the Corinthians. I don't know why. I couldn't do it. I don't like, I gotta stop, huh? I, like, I'm a little punchy right now. So, I'll, okay, I'll behave. I won't make fun of Orange County anymore. But Paul loved the Corinthians. He was crazy about them for some reason. He's always talking about his heart for them. He's talking about his concerns for the Corinthians. He loved these people. He loved them. And these are the rich folks, right? He didn't take any money from the rich folks. He didn't take an offering from them. The Macedonians were the ones that were funding his missions trip to Corinth. And he says, look, you guys, I love you guys so much. I am not pumping you for money. I want to give you the gospel. I want to give you the good news. And now you have all these super apostles that are coming in. And I love you so much. I got to tell you that they're wrong. 
And I got to tell you, it is, your, it is this inclination that you have for materialism and that you have for glitter and that you have for glam and for shiny people. That is why you're attracted to them because they're, they're, they're puffing themselves up in their big white robes and they're telling you things about how important the law is and they're selling you holy water and snake oil and programs to make you more spiritual and they're saying that they are the only true apostles and it's not true because I'm one too. In fact, not only am I an apostle, I was a Jew, and I've had an encounter with Christ. So he's saying, folks, don't listen to these guys. What they, they're, they're, we don't know exactly what they were preaching, but they're probably preaching a very strong stance on law and on control and saying, look, we are, we are, spiritual, we are spiritually superior than all of you sinners. That's the message that they're probably communicating. And Paul is saying, no. Look, and here's the frustration that he has. Because what they are doing, these super apostles boasting about their deeds and boasting about their revelations from God and their communications from God and that they are so hyper-spiritual, they're boasting about these things. And it forces Paul's hand to boast about himself and he does not want to do it. That is why this, there's some tension in this scripture. That's why there's frustration because he does not want to boast about himself, but it forces his hand. And this is really important to get because you'll see the heart between somebody that is in love with Jesus, that has a relationship with Jesus, and somebody that is a super apostle. Hmm? All right, I'm gonna tell a joke. It's, I know, it's so good though. But you know what? It's a little crass. So just, you know, forgive me. Could give me a little bit of grace because it's a little crass. It, it fits the illustration perfectly and God's going to forgive me later. So, you know. All right, so here's the joke. Um, there's, a, there's, a, a, there's a flight going across the South Pacific. It crashes and there's only two survivors. One is Sandra Bullock. And then the other one is just average Joe. So... I, I, do you guys think Sandra Bullock is really good looking? I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. She's, just, she's amazing, right? She's smart, she's attractive, she's an Oscar winner. She's amazing. Like, who wouldn't want to be stranded on a desert island with Sandra Bullock, right? Maybe that idiot biker guy that divorced her. Maybe him. That is like the stupidest thing, right? Yeah. I mean, what an idiot. I'm sorry. Um, so it's you... Oh, I'm sorry, it's you. I know, I know. All right, so it's Sandra Bullock and Average Joe. So Sandra Bullock's obviously, she's, just, she's, a, she's a model, she's, she's an actor, she's amazing. And then, then there's Average Joe. Average Joe is overweight, he's, he's got this really terrible receding hairline, he's got, you know, he, he doesn't have any hair on his head, but he's got a lot of hair on his back. He's, he's short or normal height. He's not, a, he, he's not funny, he's not intelligent, he, he's just not that interesting of a guy. He's average, and he's stuck on an island with Sandra Bullock. So his dreams have come true, and her worst nightmare has just happened, right? They come to the realization that no one's going to save them. And so since this is church, they get married, right? So they get married. They just kind of given up all hope that they're, no one is ever going to rescue them, so they might as well just get married, and they consummate the relationship, right? So they're having, you know, carnal knowledge of one another. You know, great for average, Joe. You know what? Sandra Bullock, she's just accepting it. 
She's just like, all right, it's just the way that it is. It's just as good as it's going to get, so I might as well just, you know what, just go with it. One day, all the lug- some of the luggage from the airplane wreck washes up on the shore. And it's, you know, there's these suitcases, but it's all men's clothes. There's no women's clothes. Still good for average Joe, but not good for Sandra Bullock, you would think, right? And so one day, Joe's like, hey, Sandra, I know this is totally out of left field. This is really weird, but would you just go with me? Um, Would you mind putting on these clothes? And she's like, excuse me, what? I know it's really weird, but just do me a favor and just just put on these men's clothes for me. She's like, Joe, that's really weird. It's like, Sandra, no one's going to see it. Just come on, just do me a favor. We're all bored here. Just, just entertain me and put on the guy's clothes for me. So she says, all right. So she puts on, you know, she puts on the slacks. She puts on the jacket, puts on the tie, puts on a hat. She's got all the men's clothes. And they're sitting around the campfire. And she's like, there, Joe, you happy? And she's like, yeah, well. Y- you mind if I call you John? <laughs> Sandra's like, what? He's like, Joe's like, yeah, can I just call you John? Is that okay? He's like, all right, Joe, whatever, fine, call me John. And Joe's like, okay. Hey, John. Yes, Joe. Guess what? What? I'm sleeping with Sandra Bullock. <laughs> so, see, guys get this, right? Guys get this? All right. All right, you got it? That's what super apostles do. That's what super apostles do. That is, why, that is why Paul is so frustrated in writing this because I don't know if you picked it up. Uh, who's the guy that he's talking about that's going into the third heaven? Did you guys pick it up? The tell, the tell is in verse 7. It's him. Paul's talking about himself. He's so insecure about sharing his heart with the people that he uses somebody else, but he's talking about himself. And see, this is the heart of a man that has character. You know, when you were high school illustrations are the best because that's like our basis form is when we were in high school. But what happens in the locker room with guys? What do they talk about? They talk about their sexual conquests with the girls, right? Those are the things that they brag about, they boast about, they, and they give you the lurid details of their intimacy with girls. But when we grow up, when we get older, we know that is there true intimacy in those types of relationships? Is there true vulnerability in those types of sexual conquests? There is none. And this is why Paul's having a, such a hard time sharing this, because they forced his hand to share about his intimacy with the Lord, and he doesn't want to. And God, church family, look, if you've had an encounter with God, you treasure those things deep inside your heart. They, they, are, the, they are the most intimate moments that you've had with God, and uh, there should be a shyness about that. You need to treasure, don't just go and tell everybody your, you know, your encounters with God. You treasure those things in your heart. See, super apostles, they're gonna boast about their experiences with God, but somebody, a person of character is gonna treasure, treasure it in their hearts. And that's what Paul does. He's like, I don't, I don't wanna share about this, but you know, these guys are talking about how they just, you know, they get all, they, they know the word so well, and they got these downloads from God, and they have direct revelation from God. But you know what? I've had visions and revelations, and I was, and he's honest, right? I was caught up into the third heaven. What, what's the third heaven? 
Uh, we don't necessarily know, but it's probably the first heaven is probably our atmosphere. Second heaven is probably the stars. Third heaven, by far, is being in the presence of God. So he's in, he is in the presence of God. He is in paradise. And he's honest enough to say, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know if I was in my body, if I was in the spirit. I have no concept of time. I lost all consciousness of what was going on. But what I do know, I was in the presence of God. And that trumps everything that you clowns are talking about. Right? That's what he's saying. And this is the one that he picks. He picks his most intimate time with God that trumps everything. But there's not a whole, there's not a being caught up into the third heaven in paradise? There's no fireworks to that, Paul. That's not that interesting. Then why don't you tell the story about when you're on, on the way to Damascus and this beam of light knocked you off your horse. I want to hear that story. I want to hear the story where you're shipwrecked and you shake off snakes off your hand. I want to hear the story where you, you, you raise that person from the dead. These are the stories I want to talk about. I don't want, there's no fireworks to this. Why are you sharing this? Because this is the most intimate time with God. Do you know that when he was caught up into the he- third heaven with God, that that was better than the road to Damascus? That was better than when he had the scales on his eyes and Ananias prayed for them to fall off and he received light and that he came into the, the, the gospel knowledge, the saving grace when he understood who Jesus was. This experience with him in the third heaven was the most intense experience he's ever had. And I said, you know, I don't really need to go into details why this is so important, but it trumps you guys. And it breaks my heart that I have to share about it because I love you so much. It breaks my heart that I have to say, look, this is, this is what justifies me as an apostle of having authority into your lives, of telling you the truth, of preaching the truth, because I have relationship with God. My power encounter trumps everybody else's and I've wanted to keep it secret but now I can't so I'm going to give testimony to what God has done all right and again it gets even more deep and more honest because what does he talk about so he talks about this encounter with God that is so powerful but what else does he talk about (laughs) that super apostles would not talk about so super apostles are going to to brag about their spiritual conquests right They're going to brag about how important they are in God's eyes. Paul says, I've had a personal relationship with Jesus. He talks to me. But what else, what do super apostles don't talk about that Paul does? He talks about his weakness. That requires humility. Now, he goes into saying, there was a thorn in my side. He says, I was caught up into the third heaven. But this is tough stuff. This is, this, I struggle with this verse. But to keep me from becoming conceited, the Lord sent a messenger from Satan to put a thorn in my side. How are we supposed to interpret this? This is tough, isn't it? So he says, to keep me from becoming a super apostle, I have a thorn in my side. True? It's the word of God, right? All right, I think... I've heard there's different interpretations of this. I'm probably somewhere right down the middle of the road on it. One interpretation is that, that Paul, is at, he's, this thorn in the side is actually his excuse for harboring sin or not moving forward or not stepping out in faith or not being obedient to God. So that's, actually, that's, that's one interpretation that the scholars have of, what, of Paul's thorn in his side. And 
I don't know if it's true or not, but this is what I do know from personal experience, from my own life, my own spiritual walk, and then kind of experiencing life in the church body, is that people will say, I have a thorn in my flesh, and there's nothing I can do about it. I am just wired that way. And we use it as an excuse. We use it as a crutch. You know, I'll just go to an extreme. You know, oh, pornography is just the thorn in my flesh, and there's nothing that I can do about it. I have no power over it. So we'll use this thorn in the flesh, you know, excuse to justify our actions. It's a very dangerous place, very dangerous place to walk as Christians. What do you think that Paul's thorn in the flesh was? Was it actually in his flesh? It could have been. Here's the beautiful thing about the thorn in the flesh is that he doesn't tell us what it is. It could have been, uh, it could have been his, his appearance. So we do see a little bit of his insecurities coming out that he's not a, a, you know, an eloquent orator like the super apostles. So it could be that. Maybe he's just not a good speaker. Uh, he was probably normal height, which is shorter than me. So physically, we know we have some glimpses of some of some of the things that he might have looked like. He, he was not attractive. He was bald. You know, he probably had a ruddy face, you know, by a big nose. So he was not an attractive guy. He was not a shiny character. He was not a charismatic character. He was actually very smart, but he was not, you know, he was not all that, right? That's why Corinth didn't like him. Orange County wouldn't like him either. We might not even like him. He might not be shiny enough for us. But he's a man of character. So, you know, his flesh, you know, he could have, some theories is that he might have had malaria. Uh, some theories is that he might have been losing his eyesight. That could have been his thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Could have been his appearance to keep him humble. Um, my, probably, my favorite idea, again, we don't know what it is, but um, we know that he was a rabbi, right? He was uh, head of the Pharisees. And in order for you to be a rabbi, you had to be married, right? You had to be married. There is no record of Paul's wife in any of the Gospels, not the Gospels, in any of the epistles. There's no record. I, that's my personal opinion. I think that that was his thorn in his flesh. I think that he was a man of prestige. He was a man of title. Uh, he, had, he was a man of power. He was probably had money, and he was probably married into money. And when he became a Christian, when he, when he risked everything to follow Jesus, that included his wife, and she probably left him because culturally she couldn't do it. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're an apostle. I don't care if you're a super apostle. Heartache like that hurts. When your spouse leaves you, when, you're, when you get abandoned for an idea or, you know, when you get abandoned like that, it hurts. So that's what I think that his, his thorn in his side was. I think that he was always looked down upon in his, in a, in his Jewish communities because, you know, he had to bear that, that, that embarrassment of, I mean, divorce just didn't happen, but what was the option? He, he left his religion. He abandoned his cult. So that's what I think that it is. So Paul, 
this incredible man of God. This ought to make you feel better. This incredible man of God who wrote a majority of our New Testament, who gives us incredible insight into, into our very own doctrine. He was a man of heartache. He experienced pain like, like we do. And out of that, he says, you know what? I am broken. I'm a, I'm, I've got weakness inside of me. And this is what he does that maybe we should do too. He chooses not to ignore it. I'm a weak and broken man. But in my weakness, I am what? I'm strong. I'm strong. We, we need grace. So all the super apostles were, were, I don't know what exactly they were teaching, but they were probably teaching some very controlling, heavy-headed, handy-headed stuff. And Paul says, you know what? When I, when I was in the third heaven, dealing with my stuff, dealing with my pain, dealing with my baggage, dealing with my luggage, even after I was saved, even after my miracles, even after my road to Damascus experience, I'm still trying to work through these issues of my life. You know, in my Bible, it's in red. Maybe yours is in red. But what does it say? In the red, it says, it's on the cover. My grace is sufficient. We need to get that, folks. I mean, if Paul gets this, my grace is sufficient. He's dealing with heavy stuff. And in the red, if it's in red, Jesus is saying it. Jesus is saying, my grace is sufficient. We have to trust God, folks. Even if we've been a believer all of our lives, we still have trust issues and we have a hard time trusting God. It's easier to trust our own abilities. It's easier, it's easier to trust our own drive to make things happen. It's easy, look, this is, this, is for, uh, this is probably for most of us, but God wants me to say this today. You cannot fix this relationship problem. His grace is sufficient. You can't fix the problem, folks. Like, there's a relational issue. There is so much drama wrapped around this relational issue. There's so much pain and betrayal and discomfort and unease, and you're trying to fix it. You're trying to manipulate the situation. You're trying to position yourselves and position other people. You're trying to be the peacekeeper. You can't do it. It is beyond your capability to fix the problem. His grace is sufficient for all of your needs. We need to be graced. Like we need to actually step into this empowering grace. You can't earn most of this stuff. You can earn God's favor, but we need to be graced. We need, we need salvation grace for people that, that aren't in here, right? People that are out in the world that are so lost and, and they're not children of God, they're children of the darkness. You're children of the light, that's what the Bible says. It's all saints day, by the way. Right? We're children of the light. So they need salvation grace, but we need empowering grace, folks. We've got to have it. Just because you experience grace and salvation doesn't mean that it ends there. Like, you, you need grace in your finances, you need grace in your relationships, you need grace in your work environment. You've got to have it. God needs to be active in it. 
You need to be honest with yourself and say, look, I am weak in these areas. Like most guys should raise your hands and just say, I am weak in relationships. I'm a bad communicator, all right? I blow things. I don't communicate well with my wife. Amen. Yeah. Women too? What? She's just saying that. I'm going to give her a gold star later. My grace is sufficient. What is Paul doing? What is he, what is he really doing? He's, he's making some very incredible truth claims that, you know what? You guys are all a bunch of clowns. My experience trumps all you guys. So he takes one step huge forward with his faith foot, but then there's this humility factor. I am weak yet I'm strong. You gotta, we have to have both and. Like part of the problem with the thorn thing is it keeps us stuck in one place, right? God wants us moving forward. I'm strong, I'm weak. I'm strong, I'm weak. I'm strong, I'm weak. I'm strong, I'm weak. And that, where does power come from? We're gonna actually flesh this out next week. Where does power come from? It comes from God. What's the rest of the verse? It's in weakness. There's the, there, there is the major irony of the gospel message of God. There is power in weakness. What, what was hanging on the cross. Was that an expression of power or an expression of weakness? Yes. <laughs> right? What the world saw was an expression of weakness. When we introduced Christianity into the Viking culture, what, your God dies on a cross? My God, Thor, kicks butt. Your God is weak. He's dead. My God's alive, right? But there's power in weakness. It, it is, it's the gospel message. We can't always obsess about the thorn in our side because then we make that our identity, right? We identify with our pain, our hang-up. It becomes who we are. So we've got to be able to move forward with the... Look, if we, what, what's the beginning of the verse? It's the, it's the revelation of God, right? It's the experience and the revelation of God, and then he goes into his thorn. It's two parts of the thing. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the God's revelation without the thorn. And so it's actually irresponsible for us as believers to say, I'm all about the revelation, and then completely put blinders onto the fact that we're weak. Hmm? Does that make sense? But equally, it's, it's even more disfu- dysfunctional to say, oh, I'm so weak, I have no power. Did you see? You've got to have them both. And Paul illustrates this in such a powerful way. He was strong and he was weak at the same time. And he loved people like no one else. It changed the world. All right, I'm done. I got the band and the ushers coming to the front. Only one, one verse, right? Not too bad. <laughs> Next week. Next week we're going to be looking at For My Power is made perfect in weakness. How many people need more power in their lives? 
Yeah, right? Power is made perfect in weakness. In your weakness or his weakness? We're going to be talking about some very important things next week. We need empowerment. We need empowering grace. And it becomes perfect through his weakness. We'll get that next week. Would you stand with me? Father God, we give you everything that we have. God, I pray right now that you will begin to make us into people of character like Paul was. Where we're honest with ourselves, with our strengths and with our weaknesses. Where we don't need to be shiny people to impress others. Where we don't even need to be attracted to shiny people, God. I pray right now for everybody in the room. Even though how rare and powerful it was, I pray that we all have an encounter like Paul did, where he was caught up into that third heaven, that moment of intimacy with God. That moment where we see red letters, where we see the words of Jesus speaking right into our hearts. And God, I pray right now that we will just get shy about those encounters with you. That we will, we will place them in our hearts and that we will treasure them in our hearts. And that we will know where our confidence comes from. So God, we ask for those types of encounters that, that transforms us. Father God, I, I thank you so much for a church that has a heart for you and has a heart for the lost. A church that wants to express your grace to a broken and hurting world. And a church that wants to grace each other, to show each other grace in times of conflict or struggle and difficulties. Father, right now we just abandon our our drive and our, our, our control issues to you, God. We know that we can't do it and we just need to quit and we just need to allow you to grace us. So right now, God, we, we, we offer you those relationship problems where we're trying to fix problems and we're trying to make people like us or we're trying to make people like each other and we're, we're manipulating people and we're positioning ourselves and we're positioning other people. God, I pray right now that you will, your grace will be sufficient for us in this season. That your grace will answer all of these problems that we have. We don't deserve any of it. It is all a gift from you. We're extremely grateful. In your name, amen.